The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Nine minutes after eight here on AM Live. Thank you so much for tuning into the Forum at Eight. In June of 2013, Sviso Cedric Shaz was released from prison after serving time. Now, he was wrongfully accused of raping his daughter, and this was discovered after she admitted that her mother had coached her into making the accusations. Recently, two men, wrongfully convicted for uh, killing an off duty policeman, were also released from a Pretoria prison. Now, now, it's unclear how many people exactly have been wrongfully accused in South Africa. But according to the Innocence Project of South Africa, the reasons range from eyewitness misidentification, false confessions, use of improper forensic evidence, ineffective um, legal representation, as well as police misconduct during the pretrial stages of criminal proceedings. Whatever the reason, it is certainly a miscarriage of justice. And on the forum at 8 this morning... We ask, how does a wrongful conviction affect uh, the innocent? But first, uh, let's uh, take a listen to this report by our senior constitutional court reporter, Candace Nolan, on the two men who were wrongfully convicted. Basil Mshlongo and Alfred Nkosi have served more than a decade of their respective life sentences behind bars. They were jailed for a crime they did not commit. This week, the Constitutional Court set aside their convictions and sentences and ordered their immediate release from jail. Mplongo spoke to the SABC soon after he walked out to the prison gates a free man. It feels okay. You know, it shows that at least that uh, it shows that our justice system is working because most of the time I was thinking that we don't have uh, the justice system here because I was always thinking that it only protects those who have money, but now they've proved me wrong. So I'm very glad. I mean, it's been for a long time, so I'm going to sit and with my family, you know, and we'll take it from there. Mflongo's fiance, Mavis, has been waiting patiently for this day. No, the police say we have to go out, stay maybe at Maponya Mall just to chill there. Then after our this is Friday today, really we need to celebrate. I don't think we'll sleep tonight. It's all about celebration. Then the rest we'll see tomorrow and other days. Three weeks after hearing arguments and before even finalizing its reasoned judgment, the Constitutional Court decided that the two should not spend another minute in jail. They ordered their immediate release, saying reasons will follow in due course. Criminal law expert advocate Rudolph Jansen explains. More technically, the case deals with the admissibility of certain types of evidence in our legal system. So the case is groundbreaking in that regard. But the Constitutional Court hasn't yet given its reasons. It has obviously decided that the appeal must succeed, but it will give its full reasons at a later stage. But we do know more or less that what the end result will be is that certain types of confessions made by co-accused will no longer be admissible as evidence in our law. Meanwhile, the third prisoner, Tembekili Molouzi, convicted under similar circumstances, is still awaiting the outcome of his appeal. It's complicated by the fact that he lost his own constitutional court appeal because he based it on factual findings. The court is now considering whether Molouzi's first appeal cancels out his present appeal based on a principle of our law known as res judicata, also known as claim preclusion, and referring to a matter already judged.
And uh, that report by our senior constitutional court reporter, Candace Nolan. And just a reminder of the question that we are posing this morning on the forum at 8. How does a wrongful conviction affect the innocent? And perhaps you know of someone, perhaps you yourself have been wrongfully convicted, or, um, you know, someone who has been affected by this on in one way or another. Do give us a call. The lines are open 891 You can also send us an SMS to the number 34701 or send those messages via Twitter or Facebook to AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And uh, just uh, now to introduce our guest who will be uh, talking to us about this very, very important matter, uh, Nushin Erfani Gadami, who is the project coordinator of the WITS Justice Project. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Good morning. Thank you. And uh, we are also joined by Advocate Mtunzi Maga, who is a spokesperson for the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. Thanks for your time as well, Advocate. Good morning, Kasatina, uh, and to your guest, and also to your listeners. Nusha, let me start with you. When someone is wrongfully convicted, it is the ultimate miscarriage of justice. But, you know, what are some of the factors that lead to this wrongful conviction? Um, you know the, the criminal justice system is 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 a, is a long chain, and for every for it to work, every chain needs to be strong and to be efficient and work well. So when the crime is committed um, and it's reported, um, the, the evidence must be you know must be gathered. There must be, if necessary, forensic evidence, um, biological matter should be correct collected, it should be handled properly, um, the people that are collecting it need to be wearing the proper gloves and shoe coverings, we've learned all of these through the Oscar Pistorius trial. Um, and, you know, we, uh, and then of course it's, it's, it's the people who, who um, then investigate the case must investigate it fully, not be driven to, to uh, fill a quota or to, to appease um, public uh, public outcry for an arrest to be made. An arrest should be made when you have your your case fully investigated and you, you all your facts are, uh, are 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 in your docket. Then the the prosecutor who accepts the the um, you know who, who sees the uh, that docket and accepts to put it on the roll must be ma- must be um, you know must be sure that they can they can get a conviction. Must must make sure that that docket is full. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the times, these things are not uh, are not happening, and, and unfortunately, then when it goes to uh, um, in front of a magistrate or a judge, um, the police and the prosecution often well, the police will often ask for a a remand of the trial because they haven't uh, they need to complete their investigation. Well, that's completely unfair to the person that's accused. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, it's because they're they're having to wait, and sometimes in our system, people wait years, you, you know, uh, not just months, for their child to be to be to be over. Um, you know, we know that there's seven or uh, people in 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 jail right now, seven or eight years waiting the end of their trial. So so um, then the the court system itself, uh, you know, has to be uh, has to has to work and function. Um, if the translation system uh, doesn't work, and um, or if, if there's no electricity or water, which sometimes happens, then you know we have these court roles, which uh, uh, in which um, 
uh, matters are, are reminded over and over again and said, oh, uh, you know, we'll come back to you in a month's time. In the meanwhile, the person who's accused is um, is left in limbo, as well as the people uh, who, are, who are the victims of that crime. Um, and then, uh, so there's a whole chain in which everything must work well in order for there to be, to be justice. And given the fact that uh, there is this long chain of, you know, various mm-hmm. entities who are trying ultimately, you know, to come up with one uh, possible conviction at the end, uh, doesn't that in itself lend itself to, you know, uh, errors being made along the way? And, you know, I think that's, uh, I think we have this idea that we need to get a conviction. Actually, what we need is for, the, for justice to be served and for the truth to come out. So we need to make sure that what, what we don't do is, is, you know, there's a crime committed. We should be putting all our resources into finding out who actually did it. If you see what I'm saying in terms of the change of your perspective, is we must make sure that uh, there is a prosecution of the, the right person. Because the, the impact of, of wrongful, um, uh, a wrongful charge or wrongful conviction on a person's life, even if they're in remand for just a, a few days um, because they couldn't afford their bail, or even if, if they're, they're given bail but they have to go through this whole process, just imagine that it was yourself, an innocent person who's accused of something because uh, we wanted a quick prosecution. That's, your whole life is affected by that. So we must make sure that by the time we, we accuse someone of a crime, we have got our facts straight. We have DNA and forensic and scientific evidence behind us. We're not relying on a single eyewitness testimony. We're not relying on a co-accused um, testimony, um, as was explained in your, in your intro, intro piece earlier. Um, so, so we really need to make sure that um, uh, we try to look for justice and truth rather than a, a, persecu- a prosecution. Mm. Would you say then that ours is a punitive uh, uh, legal culture? Um, you know, I think it's it's uh, we ha- it's, it's that's a very complicated question and a good one, um, and, and I'm sure that there are better minds than mine. But I just I think that because we're uh, as a society um, so worried about crime and violence which are very real factors in this country, then we, we uh, want to see something done and we imagine that it must be putting people um, away in prison. And in fact, the, the, you know, the research and studies show us that, um, that, that, uh, that doesn't correlate. Um, mm. We've had increasing numbers of people in our own prisons um, if you look at the statistics that are provided every year by by, by um, the police and so on, but that doesn't hasn't actually decreased the number of of, of of incidents of crime. So so what are we so what are we doing? Let me bring in um, Advocate Mark here um, uh, to give us his view on this. Um, Advocate, um, uh, that same question to you as well. Is ours a punitive uh, legal culture uh, whereby police and prosecutors may be seen to be doing everything in their power just to obtain a conviction at all costs? Um, so there are two ways uh, in which I can respond to that question. One that the job of a prosecutor is not to secure a conviction, but to prevent facts 
that are presented to them by the police in a fair and unbiased manner to the trial of fact, which is the judge and the magistrate. And a conviction will come as a natural cause if obviously you have presented a formidable case. But then you must understand one thing, that the society that we live in is very much tired of the escalating rate of, of crime. Now, what society expects is vengeance. It's not justice, because if you have killed someone, you have raped a girl, one thing that they expect is that the suspect who is arrested by the police on allegations of rape or murder should go, should get one sentence, that being uh, going to jail, or that the person must be convicted. They care less about the constitutional rights of that person, or that which is expected by the magistrates or the judges to uphold the constitution and be fair to both parties. That's why when you ask this question, my answer would be, it's it's not supposed to be, but pressures from the community who are outraged by crime, then it's such that people would perceive that indeed at all costs prosecutors want conviction when that is not the case. Mm. I also want to touch on, on what your guest has said that it's unfair for prosecutors to place matters on the roll for further investigation. One thing that I think she's oblivious to is the fact that when a robbery is, is underway and police chase suspects and arrest them and there's a shooting, they take them in custody, they have to appear in court within 48 hours. And at that stage, they may not have conducted the investigation fully but they would have evidence that says sufficiently a crime is conceded by Robert one, Robert 1, 2, 3. So those people should be placed before court and the cases on board, and it will have to be postponed for further investigation. Secondly, when a suspect of rape is identified, he has to be arrested and brought to court, even though there will be outstanding investigations, and also to protect that victim who may be uh, uh, affected in terms of being traumatized moving forward if we were to come in contact with that person again and they fear testifying against him. So there will be instances where cases will go on the wrong and be postponed for further investigations. But then there's a question, very important one, Sakina, that you started with was, what causes these wrongful convictions? Mm. Which I think we haven't answered up to now which I think we should be uh, zooming in at this moment. Indeed, because, and, and, and as we're answering that question, I also just want to touch on something that you mentioned, the pressure that is being brought to bear by the public, because if you just listen to our discourse, um, there, there, there's a clear expectation that the public wants to see a high conviction rate. And, um, you know, that leads to all sorts of other issues, because if you are looking at a state that is now, uh, you know, punitive, then that could contribute to the st- uh, more of the um, state actors, uh, all of those people in the chain that Nushan was uh, referring to, assuming defendants' guilt rather than they're innocent or, you know, looking for justice as opposed to a conviction. So let's talk about that, um, Advocate, in terms of all those factors that contribute uh, to these wrongful convictions. Is it a challenge, uh, Sakina, that we all have? Is that prosecutors, magistrates, police, experts, Sakina, Mtunzi, and your guests, 
Um, we are not there when crime is committed. The courts come in after the fact, which my previous postman would say it will come in in the afternoon of everything. Because the crime is committed in the townships, committed in town, where prosecutors and police are not there. They rely on statements that are presented to them by people who claim to have witnessed the commission of the crime. And then prosecutors analyze it and then present it to court. Unfortunately, they rely on what they have been told. It's a storytelling process and exercise. And then the presiding officer will be convinced by that. And you find an accused person who is also represented who tries by all means to prove his innocence, and unfortunately the odds are against him because the evidence is overwhelming, the state has presented a formidable case, and that person goes to jail. Now, it's because prosecutors were not there to see, they are not eyewitnesses and relying on what they have been told. But then it happens that at times, evidence that is crucial, the accused person is unable to present it to court, that could rebut the invention of and that evidence comes to light at a later stage, which is why there's a recourse for that person or a legal avenue to expose to say, give that person an opportunity to appeal, and then when he appeals, the court to which he appeals, which is higher than the one that convicted mm. him, will then give an order to say, let that court accord reopen the defense case and allow that evidence to be presented in court. If that evidence was not available at the time, the trial was underway and at the time the person was convicted and there's a valid reason why that evidence was not presented and that evidence makes the court feel that it could have reached a different conclusion that judgment would be overturned and the person obviously would be set free as it happened in other cases and i must say Sakina, that is not unique in south africa you've read i think about two months ago of a man who spent 27 years mm. in american prison yes for a crime that he never committed and he was just released. So it's not unique to South Africa, but what is important then now, are there checks and balances? Do we have a monitoring system of being able to detect when someone is telling a lie? Mm. And also, you know, um, when one looks at what happens at uh, crime scenes and crime scene investigation, um, there have been accusations that sometimes uh, those who are tasked uh, with, you know, uh, taking care of that particular scene, that they tend to overlook the evidence that may contradict the assumption of someone's guilt. Look, no system of government is perfect in any country, as I alluded to the U.S. Um, issue, that we are not unique. Of course, there will be those challenges in the investigative process. That's why we always make sure that we fine-tune the system. That's why even the investigative capacity needs to be enhanced at all costs. Get those investigating officers to attend those refresher courses so that they are accurate in the execution of their investigative powers. But I must admit that at times we've been caught wanting, as it was clear in the Oscar Pistorius case and other cases, but in some cases, like, you know, the expert, Mr. McBenna, who was who came out with uh, guns blazing and he was uh, the star witness. And so I must accept that at times uh, we do have challenges, but at times we do uh, about what kind of investigation which leads to conviction.
So on the Forum at 8 this morning, we are asking, how does a wrongful conviction affect the innocent? And we've gone through some of the factors uh, that may contribute to a wrongful conviction. But then the question then becomes, once this is discovered, what happens then? And how does that wrongful conviction affect the innocent victim and, by extension, uh, those that are involved with them? 891 that's the number to dial. The lines are open. You can also send us your SMSs to the number 34. 34- 7-0-1, or you can tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or my personal Twitter account at Sakina Kamwendo. And just looking at some of the messages coming through uh, via uh, those uh, avenues, Kulu SD says, the rush to prosecute ultimately begets wrongful conviction. Thus, our jails are filled with people who aren't guilty. And then um, uh, Buzwa Berke says, any punitive measures in place for those responsible for the wrongful conviction or is it just monetary compensation? Just uh, scouring through some of your SMSs here, Ismail says, very interesting topic. We also get these situations in the workplace where malicious conduct is at the onset. It is a show on its own. And uh, Jose Maktetuka says, the problem starts with the statements uh, with the police, where the statements are written by police in English. The accused would not understand or is not given a chance to write in his own language. Kwete in Pretoria says, uh, once a man enters prison, rightfully or wrongfully, immediately he is emotionally and psychologically castrated. Joe in Peter Maritzburg says the concept of social justice in a capitalist society shall forever remain farcical. Money will talk and uh, talk for eternity. And then this one unsigned says unlawful arrest and conviction is a serious miscarriage of justice. Mostly the victim's mind and soul is tortured and destroyed possibly beyond repair and families suffer quietly. Those some of your contributions this morning. And before I go to the lines, uh, uh, and I'll take those calls in a moment, 891 I just want to get back to our panel very quickly uh, with a question that was posed before the, pri- uh, the break by uh, Buzwe Bake, who wanted to know if any punitive measures in place uh, were in place for those who are responsible for wrongful convictions. Now, uh, that's a very tough question, uh, Advocate Maga. Advocate? Well, because if you are um, proved to have falsified evidence, obviously you'll be charged for that. But also the person um, can sue for damages. But the problem is that um, you, if, if, for example, if the complainant in a rape case who's unemployed, that's a man of straw, the courts cannot order that person to pay anything because that person will not have paid any money. And the other problem that we have is that you will not get back the 27 years that you spend in jail. That's unfortunate and sad reality. Mm. And just in terms of statistics, how many of uh, these sort of wrongful convictions uh, do we currently have on uh, our South African uh, books? Because uh, uh, I'm looking at something here that says South Africa's prison population stood at 15,000 um, uh, no, no, no. That's 152,514. Now, looking at that uh, prison population, how many of those um, do we know of that have been wrongful convictions? You see, wrongful conviction, Sakina, uh, it's very difficult to, to define uh, in the sense that there is a conviction that would be wrong legally. And... Uh, there would be a conviction 
that would be wrong, just wrong, in the ordinary sense of the word, given the fact that there was just false evidence that was presented before court. Now, in, in most cases, we deal with that in the form of appeals. Now, it would be difficult then to identify those cases and do a statistical account of those cases. But we mm-hmm. have debts on appeals generally where the law would have been wrongly interpreted by the courts or that decision or judgment or conviction is set aside because it is not in accordance with the law. So I do not have a straight answer in respect of your question. Mm. Lucian, uh, from um, your Sakina, research, yeah. yes? Um, what I wanted to say uh, about appeals, you know, we get a lot of people who write to us asking for help with their appeals. They say they're innocent and they want help with their appeals. And the reason that they write to us is because they say they can't get hold of the transcripts of their original trial, which is what you need in order to launch an appeal. And we've, you know, uh, for, for uh, we've been in touch with the Department of Justice and they've been very responsive. Um, you know, we've, we've held seminars where we've talked about this um, issue where, where you know, a, a person can't access the, the, the trial records. Um, and I know that the Department of Justice is working on that, but it's something that is so fundamental to making sure that uh, the, this appeal process works so that if the, a mistake has been made, it's rectified. Um, you know, and, and, and that's an issue that, that we're, we continue to look at and we continue, continue to see um, people battling to, to get hold of the, the records of their trial um, and not being able to. Mm. And then and, uh, with regard to stats, uh, have you through your research and, you know, the work that you've been doing with people um, who are in uh, that prison population, have you been able to come up with any meaningful numbers? In terms of wrongful convictions, well, I mean, I think that if if, uh, if your case is identified as being a wrongful conviction case by the courts, which is the only way you can uh, identify it um, conclusively, then you're probably not in prison anymore, hopefully. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that uh, as advocates, said, it's a very difficult number to come up with, um, but uh, just so that you, you you have an idea, also. Um, the um, of the normally about a third of the number of people that are in prison are there awaiting their trial to be over. Um, so those those are remand detainees whose trials have not been concluded. Mm. And um, that's, so that's quite a, a huge big number. number. A third. Yeah, that that yeah. that is quite a huge number. Normally a third. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go exactly. to the lines, um, 891 uh, The question we are asking this morning, how does a wrongful conviction affect the innocent? Maybe you have some experience. Maybe you know of someone who's been wrongfully convicted. Uh, maybe uh, you know of a family that is suffering because of a wrongful conviction and someone who maybe has been released and what has been uh, the life, what has life been like in the aftermath of their release? Do let us know on 891 Jeremy, you calling from Parktown. Good morning. Hello, Christina. How are you and your panel today? I hope you're well. We I've are, talking about um, technology and everything before. Wrongful arrest. When arrests are made and everything else by the complainant or whatever through the plea, even affidavit made at the same time as the statement is not, it should be, because an affidavit is enforceable at law. That's number one. Through technology and rape and everything else, are DNA testing done as evidence before a person is accused of rape? 
Those are my two comments for today. Tina, thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Jeremy, for weighing in there. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, some of our contributors uh, via the social media networks have made the same point, Advocate, uh, talking about, you know, uh, when statements are made and uh, Jeremy also weighing in on that. Is there some way in which this particular process can be uh, streamlined to be more effective? Um, Sakina, I talk of checks and balances when I, I, I was making my contribution earlier. What what would happen is that the only way to make sure that wrong evidence or false evidence is not presented to court is that one once a statement is taken, it's presented to prosecutors. Before prosecutors take the matter to trial, they have an opportunity to interrogate that evidence in the form of consultation and interviews they conduct with witnesses that they will rely on when they go to court. It is at that stage that in some instances, when I was still prosecuting in the regional court, the court and the high court, I would interrogate a witness to such an extent that one would even doubt and complain to my bosses if indeed I'm on their side. And I would insist that, look, I'm trying to prepare you so that when you go to court and you're cross-examined by the attorney to test the variety of these of this facts that you presented, I am sure that I have a reliable and credible witnesses. That's one of the measures that are in place to make sure that indeed you test the evidence before you present it in court. And when that person goes to court, and obviously the statement that was prepared by police officers, the person is taken through that statement to confirm it indeed. Everything that's contained in the statement is a true reflection of what the person had told the police. That's why in most cases you find people talking of improbabilities, contradiction between the evidence presented in court and the statement that mm. was presented to or written by the, by the police at the police station. Mm. So because at times it happens that the person gives evidence to the police and then later on retracts that evidence or recants it or gives something totally different to what is, is, is given to the police. Those mm. are some of the checks and balances that the magistrate sitting there on top has to weigh and, te- and decide if the truth has been told at the end of the day. Mm. So the magistrate will weigh all of that up. But given the frequency, uh, the alarming frequency with which uh, there does seem to be discrepancies, you know, is that something that the department, uh, you know, is going to look into to make sure that, uh, you know, perhaps it happens less frequently? Sakina, you'll recall when Diwani was acquitted that I had been on a media campaign doing interviews explaining or telling the world that Minister Masuta has commissioned a report, prepared a report that will be used to engage with law enforcement and police, sorry, and, and, and prosecutors to reflect on all the cases that have been negatively reported in the media, where it's either a problem of investigative capacity or competence, prosecutorial, or where, in some instances, the judiciary had erred in applying the law resulting in acquittals or even convictions at some stage. So we're doing a reflection of the fact that people have been complaining about the justice system. And it can't be that these people are just lying. Obviously, there's something wrong somewhere. So you'll do a reflection of 
the system and all these cases and see where did we go wrong so that we, if we need to enhance the investigative capacity, we do that. If the prosecutorial expertise needs to be enhanced, we do that as well. So that's the process that's underway. And once it's completed, obviously, we'll come back to the media and say, this is the outcome of that engagement. And we shall certainly await that. I want to go back to lines. I want to talk about compensation, but let's take our callers first. David, you're in Johannesburg. Good morning. Uh, thank you, now. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, just want to ask one question quickly. Uh, what happens if I was wrongfully convicted and it was proven that I was wrongfully convicted and released? Do I get any compensation because the time lost, you never recover it? I'll listen on the radio. Thank you so much. Uh, David, Anonymous, you're in Johannesburg. Thanks for calling. How are you? Well, and you? But I really need advice in this case. Uh, one of our family members is 72 years old. He's been sentenced in some as we speak, but he's going to go out on parole. It's a, it's a long story. I'll cut it short. He, he was working, then someone came up with the advice if they can invest money somewhere. Then they took their pension money that he worked for 15 years and he invested, all to find that it was a scam. Then the person that they know only in that office, they found a lady. Then fortunately that lady was it, it was get it was killed by the group of people who invested there. Then he was the only man that was sentenced because he knew the lady where he stayed. Then he was he was he, he was the one who was chosen and was sentenced and he was in is in such as we speak. Now he, he he lost everything. The children are not working. He lost his money, as I say, the man that he worked for 15 years. What what we can do on this case was the biggest question that we have. Those people who open up the scheme, how do they know that these people, they are going to go on pension? We, we, are, we have questions about the people who are working in that company, because the company still exists. Mm. So, so, so uh, what was your family member convicted of? for a murder, but he still say he was innocent because he was threatened by those people. He didn't want to disclose the, the people was involved. But because he was sentenced now, everything, the wife passed away last year, April, with the heart attack. Now, he starts, like, saying things. Like, he starts to talk because he, he's proving that he's innocent. The people who killed the lady, they are not being sentenced. He's the only one who has been sentenced. Okay. Uh, thank you, Anonymous. Uh, not sure how much we can do, but uh, we'll try. We'll put that to Nushan and see what comes out of it. But please listen on the radio. Another Anonymous caller calling from Nigel. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Sakina. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually calling uh, with regard to a, a, a case uh, that was conducted in Sikukuni uh, two, three years ago, where a father and a son were, were convicted of a murder and I think both of them are serving life sentences. Mm-hmm. Right. Surprising enough, the person who actually committed the crime uh, uh, died. And apparently, somehow, uh, the, the father and the one who who's serving the, the sentence to the father, that is his uh, uh, youngest son, actually uh, inherited the, 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 the whole mess. And funny enough, Sakina, uh, the, 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 the gun that was used to, 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 com- to commit the crime was destroyed even before the case was was was, was actually uh, concluded. Destroyed and by who? Once again, sorry. 
Destroyed by who? Uh, destroyed, destroyed by the state. That is what uh, the, 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 the policeman told the court. That the gun that, uh, that was uh, uh, alleged uh, to have uh, committed the crime was even destroyed before the case was, was concluded. But okay. funny enough, the, the case continued. Okay, and, and and this person that you said was uh, the actual, um, you know, um, person who committed the crime. How do you know that they were that 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 it was them who perpetrated the crime? In fact, uh, the, the the family says that uh, the, the the person who actually committed the crime uh, was the eldest son who, who apparently died. I don't know how, but. Surprising enough, the father and the youngest son were, were, were actually convicted over the, the crime. Okay. All right. Anonymous, thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us. And um, we'll continue to take more of your calls. Uh, let me just read a few messages. Jeremiah Wilson says, uh, wrongfully accused and imprisoned. Worst thing ever. I know of a person who hasn't recovered yet, even after being released. And Mko says, uh, being wrongfully accused and maybe jailed uh, for it doesn't only tarnish your reputation, but uh, your credibility as well. And then uh, some of your SMSs, Stephen in Durban says, even if a person is found not guilty, a person is branded a rapist. What happens to false accusers? Bearing in mind the man is branded a rapist and judged by the community. And uh, Claire in George says, thank heavens we do not have the death penalty or wrongful convictions could be fatal. This one says there should be a fund like the road accident fund to rectify for wrongful convictions. Also, it must be a generous fund. Bafana Kumalo in Memel says, um, incompetent state lawyers must be blamed for wrongful sentencing. My friend is on parole, uh, fully rehabilitated, and he still can't find a job. Mkolisi in Foslores says, uh, we must start with malicious prosecution, which is the result of police informers. And Joe in Peter Maritzburg says, to pacify the commoners from time to time, one or two moneyed individuals will be sacrificed by the oligarchy and convicted and imprisoned to prove the existence of social justice. Those are some of your comments. But uh, let me just come back here to, uh, before we even go to compensation, uh, what has been raised is uh, the issue of um, malicious prosecution as opposed to, um, you know, coming through with a wrongful conviction. Uh, advocate, what, how do you explain that to commoners like myself? prosecution is when a prosecutor is confronted with evidence that is clearly false. It's manufactured. It would not pass the test of time. And he knowingly presents that evidence to court and prosecutes the person. Obviously, uh, throughout the trial, it transpires that indeed this evidence would not stand the test of time then the person can sue the state for that. And um, uh, just coming back to the issue of uh, compensation, uh, Nusha, let me start with you. You know, uh, of the cases that you've worked on, um, how has the compensation issue been dealt with? Um, you know, that you need to be able to take your case if you've, uh, you know, if... if um, it's been proved that you are wrongfully convicted. You need to then have the resources to take your case through uh, to the courts again to ask for that wrongful conviction. And I think that, I mean, that's compensation. And I think one of the things we should uh, look at is our system whereby um, when there is an issue of compensation, it comes from the Treasury itself. 
if you look at um, the budgets of, of the uh, police and the, um, the the justice department and so on, they actually their uh, their official budgets have got in them sections for compensation and so on, um, which just means that we, the taxpayers, are paying compensation back. Um, mm. And so um, that I have heard um, ideas that you know it should compensation should actually be directed at at individuals rather than at departments, which might be a bit radical. But we should be we should be aware that we shouldn't rely on on the issue of compensation because it's just a treasury um, you know it's, it's our shared um, uh, treasury that's that's paying it out. Mm-hmm. Um, we should just make sure we should put a lot more attention into making sure that uh, wrongful convictions don't happen. And and how is this compensation affected, uh, advocate? Because you know, as someone was saying earlier, one of the callers, well, you can pay the money, but the person can't get back the time that they spent languishing in prison. Like I said earlier on, the man spends twenty-seven years in jail. He comes out. And obviously sues and then gets paid damages. But at the end of the day, you can't regret those years. That's the unfortunate part of it. Money doesn't um, repair the damage physically, emotionally, and otherwise on the person himself. Mm. But how is that monetary uh, compensation, you know, how is that determined? Is there any sort of, you know, criterion, a hard and fast rule that is applied? Look, it depends on, on what evidence is presented in court in terms of the pain and suffering for that individual, and then the court will give that order, depending on the first part that is presented, personal circumstances that person, the length or the duration of the sentence or the term that person spent in jail, then the court will make that determination in terms of the amount that the person should be granted. And then Anonymous uh, uh, was talking about, you know, a conviction there. But Anushan, I'm not sure, um, you know, if you perhaps have something to say to Anonymous regarding that particular case. Um, you know, I think that uh, these kinds of issues are so intricate and involved and complex that it would, uh, you know, it's, it's not the right forum to be to be giving advice. Um, they can write to us, and, and we can we can try and see. Um, where we can refer them if we can't help ourselves. But, you know, one of the things that I did want to say is that um, we get a lot of people writing to us, uh, giving us the details of their case, and some of them, we're a very small team, some of them we investigate. And we often see things, really small things, that could have saved that person. You know, someone is... um, Someone is convicted because uh, uh, they were running away from from the, uh, they were running past the scene of the crime, and the police say, say, "Oh, he must have been involved in the crime." No, he was actually just running to catch his train. He was late, um, and six years later, six years later, having spent that time in remand, the magistrate looked at the, the the evidence and said, "No, this man must go free." He was running to catch the train. Um, we've had we've had cases where where uh, there was one eyewitness testimony, um, and uh, and the, the 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 magistrate said, well, there's also the fact that you have Ayanda on your phone, um, and uh, your co-accused is also called Ayanda, and that must mean that you know him. In fact, Ayanda was the name of uh, of his mother's of his child's mother. 
Um, and if anybody had even bothered to pick up the phone and, and you know, the people that were putting the case together, they just picked up the phone and called, they would have figured out um, that this was just the man's uh, partner and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the co-accused. Mm. So small things like this where it just, just pay five more minutes of attention, just try a little bit harder, just not just an eyewitness testimony, but, but interrogate this witness, uh, this uh, um, witness's testimony. Um, the guy says he's, you, you're accusing him of murder. He was actually outside the country at that time. But that can be, uh, that can be verified. So small things that that bit of investigation um, and, and care to duty uh, would have, would have uh, uncovered. And this is what we're saying is at the time of the, of the investigation of these crimes, we need to take that amount of care and duty to make sure that we have everything, all the facts straight, so that the right people go to prison, all um, right. not the innocent. I just want to take Rex in Joburg quickly. Rex, good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Rowena. Morning to your guests and listeners. Um, I think I have worked in a South African justice system, more especially at the magistrate level, uh, to have found out that some of these wrong convictions also come from the attorneys, more especially the legal aid attorneys. A lot of people are sitting with convictions without even knowing that they are convicted because what they sometimes or most times do is that they harangue the accused into signing a document for them to quickly close the case and get their money without the accused knowing the implications of what is he or she is agreeing to and all that. And apart from the legal aid attorneys, some of the private attorneys also get into these issues. I have known about three or four cases of people who are sitting today with convictions without knowing that they are sitting with convictions, only when for, for them to have applied to somewhere else, only for them to find out that they are sitting with convictions. Mm. So we need to look at, I mean, our legal aid attorneys. I think I agree with uh, Wedem and Tasha that we need to expose people for them to get experience. But the manner in which we expose them to get that experience also counts. Sometimes the manner in which we expose them to get ex- the experience leads to mediocrity. Mm. Got you there, Rex. Thanks so much for raising that very important issue. Unfortunately, we are hopelessly out of time. Advocate, let's get your parting shot on this. I think um, we need to trust the justice system because there are checks and balances, but no system of government is uh, perfect in any country, but we strive for justice and bring to the attention of the court that evidence which can exonerate someone. And Lucien, from your side? You know, I think that a, a criminal justice system that works is a work in progress and will never get to make it perfect. So we have to work together, um, all, these, all these parts, the media, the NGOs, Department of Justice, police, Department of Correctional Services, to make sure that we can make it as best as possible. Well, that's unfortunately where we have to leave it this morning. Thank you so much to our guest today, um, Advocate Mtunzi Maga, who's a spokesperson for the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, and also uh, Nushin Erfani Kadami, who is the project coordinator of the VITS Justice Project. And what we'll do is we will put uh, that number for the VITS Justice Project on our website and also on our social media network so that you can access it there. Thanks so much for your Fantastic participation as always and also to the production team for making sure it went out loud and clear.